Well, for the months of June, July, and almost unbelievably, here we are into the month of August, we have spent uh, time learning more about the only institution on earth that by the Lord's design will never be destroyed. And that, of course, is the church. So let me quickly remind you, do a brief review of the purpose of our study. Uh, first, the study has been designed to help each, each one of us to think through the importance of the church. As I said last week, this has not been an in-depth, exhaustive study of the church, but it has been designed to highlight the basics of how the church is formed, the nature of the church, the importance of the church, and for the past couple of weeks and into the next couple of weeks forward, the functioning of the church. How is the church to function? The second goal that I had as we set out on this study uh, was to motivate you to step out by faith and begin to minister to others. The goal is to move you from being a passive participant in the pew to be an active participant in the church. The goal is to move you from passivity to activity. Then last week I added a third goal, and the third goal is this, to help you understand that you have been given an ability to you by the Lord Jesus Christ, and that ability is empowered by the Holy Spirit, and this Ability enables you to minister to others in ways you never thought possible. I've been trying to show that ministering to others is part of the joy and the satisfaction of the Christian life. Now, say, now, what are you referring to? Well, of course, I'm referring to the spiritual gifts that are given by the Lord to every believer, given to every member of the church family. I truly believe that the Bible teaches that one of the key components of a properly functioning biblical church is the exercise of the spiritual gifts of all the members of the family. Not just a few, but all. And one reason that every believer has been given a spiritual gift is so that the body of Christ will be made known, will be made manifest, will be demonstrated to both believer and unbeliever alike. They will, they will get this composite image of Christ. You know, someone can come to church, and if the only exposure they have to Christ is from the pulpit, that's good, that's great, and that's wonderful. But how much more so if the body of Christ exhibits the Spirit of Christ and ministers to them in the power of the Holy Spirit? What a tremendous gain in their understanding that will be. So as every believer uses their spiritual giftedness to minister to the body of Christ, these distinct gifts, this display of the individual gifts, form a fuller image of the Lord Jesus, thereby helping us and others experience the fullness of the character of Christ. Well, this week, I want to examine two subjects that really go hand in hand. In fact, you really can't have one without the other. The two subjects are service in the church, as well as to expand our understanding just a little bit more about spiritual gifts in the church. 
I want us to help us to understand that, that what true service is. So as we begin this morning, I want to kind of pick up last week where I left off. because I, I, don't, I don't want there to be any confusion. Let me remind you that natural abilities are not the same as spiritual gifts. Can God use our natural abilities? Yes. Can our natural abilities be a part of our spiritual gift? I'm going to say yes. But I, I'm hesitant to say, in fact, I will not say, that your natural ability is, in fact, your spiritual gift. One of the reasons I say that is, in order to properly use your spiritual gift, it must be empowered by the Holy Spirit. That means you must rely upon the Holy Spirit for the proper use of that gift. If we fall into the trap of thinking that our natural ability is the same as our gift, what does that do to our reliance upon the Holy Spirit? Whether we realize it or not, it will decrease our reliance upon the Spirit. And thereby, God is not glorified. Okay? So... Natural ability is not the same as a spiritual gift. God may use your natural ability as part of your spiritual gift. I, I hope that's, that's, that's clear to you, okay? Um, regardless of whether you serve the church by your natural abilities or through the use of your spiritual gift, each one of those requires the same biblical mindset, Say, what is that? It is the mind of Christ. We must have the mind of Christ. Say, what does this mean? Well, St. Clair Ferguson, I think it's very helpful. He, he's drawing from Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And he explains the mind of Christ this way. He says, quote, when Paul speaks about the mind of Christ, he is not thinking about our Lord's intelligence, but about how he thought about himself, his attitude to his own life. When John describes the way Jesus washed his disciples' feet on the evening of his crucifixion, he also describes our Lord's mind or attitude both to them and to himself. So what's he saying? There is a particular attitude, there is a biblical attitude that you and I must possess in order to serve others. You know what it is? It's the mind of Christ. It has to be the mind of Christ. Regardless of whether or not you're using your natural abilities or you're using your spiritual gift, either way, you must have the same mindset, that you are serving others. You have the mind of Christ. You are, pu you are putting the interests of others above your own. And how did Jesus serve? Well, let's just think about the example of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Now, I know this may seem, seem rather obvious, but I wonder if we really give much thought to this. In washing the, the, the disciples' feet, where did he start? He started at the feet. The dirty, stinky feet. Not the head that wears the crown. So what's your point? The point is, there will be times when we serve others, it's going to be a messy, dirty job. People have problems. That's why they need the exercise of your spiritual gift in their life. They have problems. 
If we were all perfect, there would be no need for spiritual gifts, but we're not perfect. Therefore, God has given us these wonderful gifts to minister to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, let me give you this to write down. If you take notes, great, write it down. If not, try and remember it. Service is never to be limited to the area of our spiritual gifts. Here's what I mean. Someone, let's say, someone has the spiritual gift of, we'll just use teaching. Someone has the spiritual gift of teaching. Okay? But there are other needs in the church, and they say, well, you know what? Uh, if it had to do with teaching, I'm all in. But since it doesn't really require or need my spiritual gift, I'll leave that to somebody else. Wrong attitude. Wrong attitude. Okay? Our service in the church is never to be limited in the area of our spiritual gifts. And let me illustrate with a couple of biblical examples. Let's go right back to Jesus watching, washing the feet of the disciples. Why did he do that? Because he had the mind, he had the attitude of a servant. Despite being God in the flesh, despite being the God-man, he willingly humbled himself and did what? He washed their feet. Do you think that had anything to do with spiritual giftedness? He was, had the attitude of a servant. He was setting an example for all of his disciples to follow. He, he was demonstrating that all of us, each one of his followers, must be willing to serve others even in the most menial of ways. And here's a second illustration of that. You go to the book of Acts. As the church begins to grow, the, there's needs arose among the congregation. There were those in the congregation who needed a little bit of extra care. What was the solution? They chose seven spirit-filled men to go meet the needs, allowing the apostles to focus on their area, their priority, God-given priority, which was uh, prayer and ministry of the word. And they went out and they met the needs. Again, is there anything here said about spiritual giftedness? The only qualification we see here is what they were filled with the Holy Spirit. What, what, can, what can we conclude from that? When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you'll meet any need. You won't stand back and say, well, you know, if, uh, if they needed some deep theological insight, uh, uh, let me know. No, they, they, they needed some food. They were widows. They were elderly. They needed help. And so they helped. See? What's the point? Well, you can, and I would be so bold to say, you should serve the church even in areas in which you are not spiritually gifted. That's the attitude, the mindset of a servant. A lack of knowledge, and by the way, we will get to this. A lack of knowledge about your specific spiritual gift is never a reason for inactivity or passivity or not serving in the church. Why do I say that? Because serving is one of the ways that you're going to discover your spiritual gift. Feeding the widows was not a particularly glamorous job, was it? But it was a need that had to be met. It was an important group of people who needed to be served... And they were served by these godly servants. My pastor used to say, need seen is an assignment given. And there's some truth in those words. 
Well, Sinclair Ferguson, in his book, Devoted to God's Church, has four very helpful thoughts concerning spiritual gifts and service. And he puts them in the form of uh, negative and positive statements. And they are worthy of you writing down at some point. Don't worry, you're not going to be able to get them all right now, but you can go back and listen. But I, I would highly recommend that you go write these things down and think about them. So here's how he puts it. Negative one, service is not a matter of others recognizing your gifts. Service is not a matter of others recognizing your gifts. Now, you may just want to jot down beside that. That's when, that's when you want people to come to you. That's a negative. Here's the positive to that. Service is a matter of us recognizing other needs. Beside that, you could put going to them, which is the biblical model. Not waiting for them to come to you, but you go to them. Negative two. Service is not a matter of doing things for others at our own convenience. In other words, well, if I can find the time, if I can get to it, I'll try and help out. No. Here's the positive to that. Service is a matter of helping others when they are inconvenienced. Other people's needs don't run on your schedule. Amen? That's just the reality of life. Negative three, service Uh, oh, excuse me. Negative three, yeah. Service is not a matter of feeling we have special gifts, thinking more highly of ourselves than we should. Positive three is service is a matter of us seeing that others have very special needs. Boy, and there's a world of difference between those two statements. Negative number four, service is not an optional extra for a member of the church. Positive four, Service is written into the definition of being a member of the church. Now, we really want to emphasize number four here. Service is written, in, written into the definition of being a member of the church. That's another way of saying that service in the church is to be the norm, not the exception. Sadly, many times it's the other way around. You have a handful of people trying to do the bulk of the work. That's not the way that the church is designed to function. In fact, if you would take some time this afternoon and go read Romans chapter 12, once you hit verse 9, then through the rest of the chapter, verse 21, whichever it is, you will find that Paul gives the marks of a genuine Christian. And one of the marks of a genuine believer that Paul, he really states it in a matter-of-fact way, are found in Romans 12, verse 11. He says there, Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, Three words, serve the Lord. So the question is, well, how do we serve the Lord? We serve the Lord by serving his church, by serving his people. That's how we serve the Lord. I can't help but think of the, the Rotary Club's uh, little tagline or slogan or mantra or whatever it is. It says service over self. They probably think that's pretty clever that they come up with that. Well, the reality is that's a biblical principle that Jesus taught and demonstrated in his own life. All right, here's, here's a couple other things about this. Uh, we need to be careful that we don't confuse activity with service. Don't confuse activity with service. And this is a mistake that happens a lot of times in churches. Particularly, particularly the, the larger a church grows, the more this becomes a danger. Many churches, and I grew up in a church like this, 
they have so many weekly activities scheduled and so many programs going on that there's little or no time for genuine biblical service to the members of the body. There is little to no time for the members of the body to minister to the body through the spiritual gifts that they have been given. So how do we differentiate between service and activity? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked. I don't have the answer, but St. Clair Ferguson does. Amen? He says, service has much more to do with caring and loving than it has with being busy. Did you get that? An act of service is where you express love and care for another, not hand them a hot dog as they go through the line. Though there are times there's nothing wrong with handing somebody a hot dog. I, I like to get handed hot dogs as often as possible, amen? That's activity, not service. Loving would be Rachel coming to me and saying, you know, you really don't need that third hot dog. Right. See? Biblical service takes an emotional toll. And if you're ever involved in the life of another, it will take an emotional toll. Why? Because that's the nature of biblical service. It's caring. It's loving. Remember this. Activity does not equal service. Remember this. Activity is never greater than service. As well as activity is less than service. We frame it in the context of what the Bible describes to be caring. Uh, uh, biblical service is caring and loving. By the way, you can, be so, you can also be so busy with personal activities that you don't have time for biblical service. I, I see this particularly, and I, I understand I see this particularly with when students come to school at Berea. College life is hard. It's, it's demanding. There's a lot of things to do. But I can't see any precedent in Scripture where we are allowed to set aside our Christian life of service for four years and then pick it back up. What I have witnessed is those who don't make the sacrifice to get involved are in real danger of drifting away from the faith. I've seen it more than once. I've also seen the good, where those who make the effort, make the sacrifice to get involved in the local church, actually become stronger through their college years rather than floating away and being confused about what they believe. Um, so you have to be careful that our personal activities don't uh, derail us. You know, we live in the day and age of uh, the... Uh, what they call it, the gig, gig economy or uh, uh, side hustles and all those things. Nothing wrong with them in and of themselves. But listen, if they be, get to the point where they dominate your life and you can't serve others, then they become sinful. And there will be many times in your life as a professing Christian when you will have to die to self. You will have to count others better than yourself and serve them. There will be times when you must minister to them in the power of the Holy Spirit. After all, that's why you were given that spiritual gift. Not for yourself, but for the good of others, for the building up of the body of Christ. 
Again, the, the best, the finest example of this is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Christ-like servants are always taken up with the interests of others. Well, perhaps the moment you've been waiting for is finally, finally here. John called me out on the carpet early this morning because I, I said last week that I would start to go through the list of gifts uh, I, I beg your indulgence. I'm not going to do that this morning. But here's what I am going to do. We're going to go to the Bible and see what does the Bible say about discovering our spiritual gifts. John, my logic is sound. Because in, until you know how to discover your gift, what good is the knowledge of a gift? So here's the question. How do I discover? How can I know what my spiritual gift is? And that's the right question for you to be asking. That's the question you should be asking. You should be seeking an answer to it. Now, perhaps you've been waiting for me to hand out a spiritual gift test or to send out a link to an online assessment that will accurately pinpoint the gift you've been given. But here's the reality. And please, 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 please listen carefully. Because the gifts are spiritual, they must be discovered through the use of ordinary spiritual means. Huh? Is that ringing a bell? You cannot discover a spiritual gift through natural means. You can't do it. Say, so, well, what are the things that you're talking about? It's the things that you should be doing every day as a Christian. You're reading your Bible. You're spending time in prayer. You're being filled with the Holy Spirit. You're already serving others. That's the way, that's the means, that's the God-given means that God has given to us to help us discover what our spiritual gift is. Now, hopefully, as you think about that and take just a step back, that does make good sense to you. Plus, it simplifies things for you. So why do you say that? Because as you use the spiritual means available to you, you can be assured that the Holy Spirit is not going to lead you astray. Now, that does not mean that the first thing you try is going to be your spiritual gift. Because the Holy Spirit can work in both negative and positive ways. He can get us involved in something to show us that's not our gift before he gets us involved in something that says that is your gift. Okay? Unfortunately, again, many believers uh, believe that they can... And, and I, I think this is the fault of, of, of churches. They, they think they can discover their spiritual gift by taking some kind of test... I remember it in my home church growing up. In fact, I was a, teaching a, a young adults class at the time, and, and we purchased some tests from some outfit, and everybody sat down on Sunday morning during class time, and you checked off, you know, it's kind of like, uh, I don't know, multiple choice, you know, do you like uh, vanilla or do you like chocolate or, you know, some, some crazy stuff like that. And then, then you, rate, then you uh, added up all the answers at the end, and whammo, that means you have the spiritual gift of whatever. Now, I, I, really, I don't mean to make fun. They, they, they were well-intentioned in doing that because they honestly wanted us to discover what our spiritual gift was. But again, you cannot discover a spiritual gift through natural means. That's not the way that it works. And it's interesting to me that in each section of Scripture where you read about spiritual gifts, you know what's not there? There's not a process spelled out by Paul 
that says, now this is how you go about finding your spiritual gift. You can read all of these sections and you won't find in any one of them some parentheses put in by Paul that says, now, by the way, I've given you the list of gifts. This is how you go about discovering your gift. It's not in there. Now, this doesn't mean that we've been left in the dark. It doesn't mean that we've been left helpless or hopeless. Because there is a way to discover our spiritual gift that I'll show you in a moment. Now, there is a, let me highlight a danger associated with trying to discover our spiritual gift. The danger is this, that we fall into the trap of pursuing the gift more than we pursue the giver of the gift. And there are certain groups who have made that mistake. They pursue the gift more than the giver of the gifts. And we must guard against that at all costs. We must keep our priorities straight. So how should we? Are there some steps that we can take? Are there certain practices that we can engage in that will help us understand what our spiritual gifts are? Yes. Here it is. In order for us to discover our spiritual gifts, we must follow the pattern laid out for us in the Scriptures whenever we are seeking any kind of direction or answer for our spiritual lives. Does that make sense? You're seeking direction in your life. You're seeking God's guidance in your life. You're seeking clarification on an issue in your life. What are the spiritual means that God has given to us to help us determine those things? He's given us his word. He's given us his spirit. He's given us prayer. He's given us the opportunity to ask for wisdom. That may seem radical to us, but, but why would it be different in this area than any other area of our spiritual lives? So the first thing I would say goes right back to what I talked about. Pursue the giver of the gifts of the Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, most Christians have that verse flip-flopped. That verse is not saying delight yourself in the Lord and you'll get whatever desire that you want and God will give it to you. No. What that verse is saying is delight yourself in the Lord and God, the Lord, will take his desires for you and put them in your heart. And they become your desire. So what am I saying? Get to know Christ, Jesus. Get to know the one who has given you your gift. Honestly, beloved, do you think that Jesus has given you a gift and he's trying to keep it from you? He's trying to hide it from you? Of course not. He wants you to know what your gift is. He wants you to use that gift. He, he wants the glory that will come to him as you use your gift in the power of the Holy Spirit. So the Bible says that we should delight ourselves in the Lord and he will give us the desires of our heart. Second, I can't emphasize this. Now, all of these are equally important. You must rely upon the Holy Spirit. Seek the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Remember, the Holy Spirit is the one who empowers you to minister your gift. Could it be, could it very well be that you're not yet totally relying upon the Holy Spirit so therefore you don't know what your gift is? You, you can't find in the Bible where it's, it's, it's a little bit of you and uh, a whole lot of God. It's none of you and all of God. 
So as long as we keep trying to figure things out, think we're smart enough to figure it out, listen, we're in for a rough road uh, to go down. And then uh, we need to seek to be continually filled with the Spirit. Then we ask for wisdom. James, we all know it. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. James 4, you, you uh, do not have because you do not ask. So you must believe that you have a definite gift, and you must believe that the Lord wants you to know the gift so that his body will be strengthened and he will be glorified. Now, while you are engaging in the spiritual disciplines mentioned above, you know what you need to do? Go ahead and serve. If you're already serving, keep serving. If you're not serving, start serving. Go ahead and get involved. Begin doing whatever needs to be done, however insignificant you may think it is or that your contribution may seem. Remember, Jesus said, and whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. It's not insignificant. There is no act done in the name of Christ for Christ to God's people that is meaningless or insignificant. You see a weed, you see a need. There's not just certain people that can go out there and pull weed. Anybody can pull weed. And it's a need. Wouldn't you be embarrassed if you came in one Sunday and and our our, uh, white rocks were uh, interspersed with way too much green? Now, I, I, uh, I don't know, it was years ago when I was on vacation, I visited a church, and the first thing I noticed when I got out of the car was all the weeds. So you're not very spiritual. Probably not, but that's what I saw. And, and you know what that says to me? They don't really care about the appearance of the church, so how much do they care about the church? By the way, why do needs exist in the church? I don't care what size a church is, there's plenty of needs. Why do those needs exist in the church? Well, the reason needs exist in the church is so that you can serve, and by serving, you learn how you are spiritually gifted. If there were never any needs in the church, you'd never discover your spiritual gift. Uh, maybe, maybe this would be a helpful illustration, maybe not, and you, you can be the judge. Have you ever been to an event like uh, Taste of Richmond? I remember years ago uh, in Cincinnati where I lived, uh, every October they had Oktoberfest and they had the Taste of Cincinnati, right? And, and, and what it is, uh, you know, all these food trucks and restaurants and vendors, they get together and you can go around and you can sample all the fare, you know. <clears throat> now, normally, uh, someone like me who's pretty, who's pretty uh, I'll just say it, stuck in his ways, uh, uh, if I was at the Taste of Cincinnati, I'd go for Skyline Chili and La Rosa's Pizza and call it a day and be happy as a clam. But, well, but what if, but what if I went to one of those food tasting things and they had deep fried Oreos? Now, Disclaimer, I've never had a deep-fried Oreo, but I've been tempted many times. But what if I said, you know what? I'm going to try that thing. And I get me three or four deep-fried Oreos and a Diet Pepsi. What a combination. And I just 
take that first bite and oh, I'm, I'm just, I can't, be, I can't believe what I've been missing all of these years. Where have you been all of my life? See, you, you can think about ministering in the church in a similar way. You may try something over here and yeah, it's okay. And you try something over there and yeah, it's okay. But then you try this here and it's like, where have you been all of my life? You just know that this is how God has gifted you to serve the body. And that's an amazing feeling when you finally discover that. And what happens when you discover through the ordinary spiritual means what your spiritual gift is? Well, here's what happens. You become better at using it. And as you witness firsthand the power of the gospel making real life change in the lives of your brothers and sisters, you're blown away. No longer will you need external motivation. You'll have all the internal motivation you could ever want. And ultimately, this is, this, this is free and you can drop it at the door on your way out. I wonder if those who deconstruct their faith ever really serve the church. So thought. Service strengthens your faith. Not necessarily activity, but service. Let me close with some words from Sinclair Ferguson. He writes, quote, So we will discover the gifts the Lord has given us by sensing a concern to serve others and a desire to do it in particular ways. There will be an inner spiritual compulsion, close quote. And as we see others serving and using their spiritual gifts, you know what we need to do? We need to encourage them. Why? Because your encouragement will just be another point of motivation to them to continue to look for opportunities to serve their Lord by serving their brothers or sisters in Christ. And I leave you with 2 Timothy 1.6. Paul writes to young Timothy, For this reason, I remind you, listen to his language here, to fan into flame... The gift of God. Not let it lay dying, becoming cold, a few tinkling, twinkling embers. Fan in the flame. What happens when air hits a flame? Boom. That's what Paul's saying. You've got this gift, Timothy. Fame the flames of that gift. Be white hot for Christ. You'll never want to live any other way again.